the best receptacle for barbecues, tailgates, fairs, and festivals, and you, sir, do not have a pair of testicles if you prefer drinking from glass. A red solo cup is cheap and disposable. In 14 years, they are decomposable, and unlike my home, they are not foreclosable. Freddie Mac can kiss my ass. Woo! Red solo cup. I fill you up. Let's have a party. Let's have a party. I love you, Red Solo Cup. I lift you up. Proceed to party. Welcome to the next episode of the Sensational Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the first couple. I hope you tune into this one as well. Uh, This week, I wanted to sort of have a little different conversation. And I've brought two people on that can help guide us through a few things. Uh, From personal experience and from experience from some friends, the pandemic has really changed the way that we view our employment and our our economy in the country. And, And what I mean by personal is I have a very good friend that lost their job because of the pandemic and that job has not come back. And part of what she is is feeling is that she's applying for lower jobs putting in resumes and before the pandemic if you had a a position you're looking for you may come up across 30 to 50 other people that are applying for the same job Uh, what she has found is that she's applying through 300 to 500 different people because of the limitations of the availability of certain jobs or the fact that these positions are just no longer available. Companies have gone out of business, they have scaled down their workforce, or they're just not coming back at all because they they are no longer a functioning company. So a little bit of guidance helps everybody now and then. And when you get somebody who is in the field and in the business for many years, I think you can take a sample of, of an education that you might not be able to get or or might not even know that you need during this process. So I'd like to introduce the two guys that I have on tonight. Uh, It's Dan Thompson and Paul Sammons, both of whom have been or are in the professional corporate recruiting business. And they're also friends of mine, but I have known them for for many years. and, And Dan actually has worked very closely with uh, with my wife uh, when she was at a different company. And I respect their opinions, and I think that they could be here to help us and help you find out a little more information about what you need to do or what you can do to get the job that you want. So, gentlemen, thank you very much for joining me. I appreciate you guys being here this evening. How are, how are you guys doing? Chris, it is fantastic to be on. I'm excited to hang out with you. Uh, you've been a, a great friend, and I think you and I have known each other for probably six years now. Paul and I about the same, maybe seven. Uh, but it's it's awesome to be able to sit down and chat with you guys about something that that's obviously very close uh, to me, uh, and try to provide any sort of feedback or guidance that I can about the job market uh, and how to navigate it because it's it's a, a weird uh, niche industry that has all sorts of dead ends and twists and turns that hopefully we can uh, help you get on the uh, the straight and narrow. Yeah, I thank you very much, Dan, for that. And then again, thank you for joining me on this. Paul, how are you? I'm great, guys. Uh, super excited to be here. Um, I like Dan. Uh, this is something that I'm super passionate about. So I've, I've got a lot of hot takes 
to get off tonight about recruiting <laughs> and job hunting and Dan Mullen's recruiting ability. Um, but no, I've, I've, known, I've known both of you for a long time. I uh, was, was fortunate enough to go out on a, on a boat with Captain Dan last weekend. So just really excited nice. to be here and, and maybe provide, you know, a, a different perspective on job hunting and, and what to do and what not to do. Uh, because people, you know, just naturally with the way that the process is, we end up wasting a lot of our time. And when you're on the job search, the most valuable resource that you have is time. So I'm excited to be here um, and looking forward to it. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate it. So we, we might have some recruiting squared here. We might have employment recruiting and some Mullen recruiting. This is interesting. I was stuck <laughs> on that boat for the entire day with Paul, and for a solid hour and a half, he was getting his takes off. So he's got uh, time. He's got time. He's got time, and he's got takes. So I let's got uh, plenty let, of time. <laughs> let's pop in with the with the corporate recruiting and, and the job hunting part of it. So you, you kind of heard my intro a little bit, and. Uh, like I said, it's it's personal to me because I know people have gone through that. You probably know people as well who have suffered during the pandemic or or had some issues with employment. Uh, my 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 first real question. I'll shoot it to to Dan first. Dan, what what really is the uh, is the workplace environment like right now as far as recruiting? Like what what's your what's your workload and what are you seeing out there as far as the availability of of really great positions that may not have uh, come back and and what's that like for you right now? What's that like in the, in the whole scope of it? Yeah, no, that's a, it's a great question. And I think it's a question that's still a bit unknown. I work primarily in the tech field and for the most part, the tech field was, was pretty unaffected by the pandemic. And if anything uh, grew the need for, for cloud computing and the need for working remotely and the need to setting up, uh, you know, remote workstations and help desk and desktop support, a lot of your, what we call infrastructure roles uh, continued, if not grew a lot of things from an application development standpoint, they continue to, to grow as well. You know, I, I think the biggest fields that have been hurt the most are your in-office roles, your your admin, receptionist, your front desk folks, your office managers, things of that nature. They've certainly struggled to come back. Uh, and then obviously a lot of it is, is industry dependent too, right? If you're in the hospitality field, the tourism field, there's probably a, a large percentage chance that, that your job, no matter what it was, was affected. I'll say this, we're starting to see definitely an improvement in the number of jobs that are added every month. The number of job postings has gone up, I think every month for the last seven or eight months in a row. So you're starting to see a lot of growth there. What I would say right now is companies are now deciding when the pandemic is over or if it ever is going to be over or whatever normal is, is what does their future look like, right? Paul works for a company and he'll tell you where right. they allow a lot of their employees to work remotely. And we're now starting to see, you know, in the Tampa Bay area, an area that never really allowed remote work is now allowing more remote opportunities. That's a double-edged sword, right? Because that, that's happening all across the country. Now jobs that required you to be on site in Wyoming or in New Jersey or in Georgia, you know, might allow 
you know, for somebody to be remote. So somebody can apply for those jobs. The double-edged sword piece of it is a lot of those local companies and local jobs where all you had to do is to compete with was your local talent base. They're now, you know, competing against people on the opposite side from Wyoming, from New Jersey and from Atlanta. So it's definitely changed what the job market looks like now. But we are starting to see a lot of those jobs that did go away start to come back a little bit more. But to be honest with you, there's going to probably be a large percentage of jobs that may never come back for some of these office roles. Yeah. Paul, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Um, so the company that I work for, uh, we're a software as a service company. And, you know, for us, we were definitely affected at the very beginning. So, you know, March, April, May of last year, uh, we were certainly affected, but we've been able to, we've been very fortunate to kind of bounce back from that. So to, I mean, just to give a perspective on our company, we have 140 openings right now across the company. So, and that can be anything from sales to administration, to technology, to accounting and finance. So, you know, I can, I can speak to what our company has experienced, uh, but even just in general, you know, we are seeing a lot of new job postings out there, which is a great thing because that typically can, can at least give you some data points to look at in terms of not, not just looking at unemployment, but being able to look at a few other data points as well to determine how strong the actual job market is, as opposed to how strong the economy is. So, um, it's definitely changed a lot of things about how you look for a job, what jobs are available right now, et cetera. But at the same time, it also hasn't changed. So, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to talking a little bit more kind of about the process of, of how to go about looking for a job. Because in my opinion, if you do that, what I consider to be the right way, quote unquote, um, I think you can, you'll find success in landing a new job, regardless of what the rest of the marketplace looks like. Yeah, I think, I think that that is going to be our, our next question that we're going to hop into, but I want to make two points real quick. Um, when I mentioned in the, in the opening about going from fielding a, a, a 30 to 50 resumes for a position to 300 to 500. I think Dan touched on that point too, is that it's not just a locally based uh, thing that you're looking for. Now you're stretched it all over the company. I think part of the stress on that in the employment field is that you're looking nationally and even sometimes internationally for say positions in the Tampa Bay area where you are just looking for a small circle radius of, of, people that were in the field that are looking for that position. Now with the remote, you've extended it to a whole different level where you've really got to be on your game. Like you just mentioning, Paul, like what's the right process to do? Because if you're not having that correct process, you're not going to get anywhere near the top of that pile because it's exponentially grown just for the fact that uh, you know, people aren't just looking locally, it's nationally and even internationally. So if we kind of hop into that, Paul, real quick, and Dan uh, chime in on that as well, let's go over what that correct process is, because there's definitely a, a multiple levels of correctness, if you want to say, as to how you should do it. And it's not just as simple as I've got a good resume and I have a good cover letter. Like that's, that's 10-year-old nonsense that we're not doing anymore. Like there are 
definitely ways to get on top of that stack to get looked at and get noticed and get that first or first interview, which is the most important thing. If they're not calling you back for that first one, you're sure as, not, sure as hell not going to get a second one. Right. Yeah, no, I, I love talking about this. Um, like I mentioned, it, it's definitely something I'm passionate about. I think the first thing that you have to remember as a candidate, as somebody that's out in the job market looking for a position, whether you have a job right now or you don't, but you're out exploring what opportunities are out there for you, um, the first thing that you have to realize is that the process for finding a job is incredibly broken. It from start to finish, the process is broken. And what I mean by that, you know, you mentioned a, a friend that you had that's, that's putting in dozens upon dozens of resumes. I guarantee you that they are hearing back either a yes, a no, a maybe, 1% of the time, less than 5% of the time. Um, if you're putting in a resume, if you're putting in 100 resumes, you're likely not hearing back from either the recruiter that's recruiting for it internally um, or from anyone at the company that you're interested in. You're just not. And the reason why that happens is, is for, for a couple of reasons. It, it really, the main reason is just because of, of time. You know, as an internal recruiter, if I have a job posting and I get several hundred resumes, I just, I don't, there are not enough hours in the day for me to review that many resumes and then also give, you know, either detailed feedback to each person on why they're not a fit or, um, you know, even just a, a simple yes or no, that still requires either a phone call or it requires an email. So you kind of have to know that that's the way that it is. And it's not yeah. the best way that it could be. And it's unfortunate, but once you learn the system, you can learn how to game the system. So I think that's the first thing is just realize that the process is broken and that will prevent you from getting as frustrated as you would be if you like have these dreams and aspirations that it's going to go perfectly. Like if you just assume that it's going to be a total shit show from the beginning, then your <laughs> life and your, your job search is going to go way smoother. So acknowledge that. But, um, you know, I like to tell candidates to have an actual plan. So what do I mean by that? As opposed to going on Indeed and searching your job title. So I'm, you know, I'm an executive assistant and type in executive assistant jobs and, you know, start going through and you just click the easy apply button, right? The easy apply button is not your friend. The easy apply button puts you in a stack of the other three, four, 500 people. It's not your friend, so don't use it. Um, use Indeed or use CareerBuilder or ZipRecruiter or wherever you're, you know, Google Jobs is a huge one now. Use that as a way to find companies that you're actually interested in working for and make a list. So before you even apply, make a list of the top 20 to 30 companies that you're interested in working for. Take that list and go immediately to LinkedIn, which everybody can create a free profile. Use the search bar at the top. If you've ever dug up old tweets, you can, you can search on LinkedIn. So go to the search bar on LinkedIn and type in the name of the company and talent acquisition or the name of the company and recruiter. And what that's going to do is it's going to give you real people that are likely responsible for that job that you're interested in. Those are real people that you can then reach out to as opposed to 
easy apply, my resume goes in a paper stack or a digital stack and I never hear back. Yeah, is that kind of like, so in a sense, it's almost like bypassing not only one, but maybe two or three middlemen when you go through the employment apps to kind of hit directly to the company right. and finding that person in that department that is the person that maybe a month from now might have gotten your digital resume from one of the other sites and the job's already filled. So you're just going to get either no contact or a letter that says, thank you for applying. We've, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Paul makes a, a really good point. And I think also part of the problem is, is applying on Indeed, applying on LinkedIn, applying on ZipRecruiter and some of these other places seemingly to, to the job seeker have made it so much easier to apply for jobs now, right? You see, oh, all I have to do is just pass through my LinkedIn profile. And so for you, the job seeker that is qualified for that job is probably also competing against candidates that have no skill set that they're looking for, maybe 5%, 10%. I mean, Paul, what percentage of jobs do you post out there of people that are, are likely a fit? Depending on the role, probably... 15 to 20%, a lot of junk is in there, right? You're, you're sifting through a bunch of different things. And, you know, most recruiters have, you know, 40, you know, 30, 40, 50 jobs that they're working on at one time, you know, whereas a lot of your hiring managers and, and yes, some of them may get hit up more often than not. But I think the best thing that you can do as a job seeker is find, Paul mentioned, find companies that you want to work for, find people that you want to work with, and then reach out and let them know your interest and why you feel like you'd be a valuable, you know, team member, right? I promise you most people that are hiring don't enjoy hiring, right? It is a fundamental part of the process that all managers and directors and VPs have to do. But most of them, if you're an application development manager, like you want to develop applications, you don't want to sit through the hiring process. So the easier you can make and the easier you can make it for them to put yourself and say, hey, I know that you guys are looking for, you know, XYZ position. These are the skills that I have. I would love to chat with you a little bit more about your organization or how you got into your organization because I'm interested in working there, right? You've immediately made yourself vulnerable and you've put yourself in front of the person that is going to make that decision. There's still going to likely be an HR protocol that you have to apply for the job and everything else. But now you've immediately cut directly to the person that's making the hiring decision because as much as people like to blame HR and recruiters and everything else, we're not the ones that are making the hiring decisions 98% right. of the time. Yeah. Well, that's, and that's part of like from the, from the talent acquisition aspect and the human resource, the HR aspect, I think some of the companies too, and, and this was run into by a couple people I know that, that that talent acquisition department was so overwhelmed with the fact that it hit so fast and people were out of work so fast, they couldn't gear their department up quick enough to assess the amount of new resumes and, and job seekers that were applying. So the fact was just like they were on overwhelm because they didn't have the resources to process everything. So uh, companies, I think now have figured that out. Maybe they're using more outside recruiters or using more LinkedIn, just trying to figure any access point to help their department get 
everything through the process as quickly as possible. Because likewise, when people are saying, well, I really want this job, the company aspect of it is also, I don't want to miss out on good people Mm -hmm. that are applying that if we're not getting back to them fast enough, they're going to go somewhere else. And I could be losing out on really good talent simply because my department can't keep up with the demand. Chris, that's a, a really good point. And I'll say this. It's, it's one of my, my most important things that I say in my business. Your recruitment process as a company is one of the biggest marketing and PR things that you could spend money on. Make it right. a good process, communicate, communicate effectively. If you can't do that because you're so overwhelmed, then you need to reevaluate yourself as a company and what is the way that we're treating potential future employees here? Because it doesn't just affect the people that are applying now that maybe they didn't have a great experience is now you have Glassdoor, you have Google, you have all of these other places that if people have a bad experience, they're going to put that out there immediately. So you're hurting yourself in the future of, oh, I don't want to go work at Acme Widget Company. I'm not even going to apply because their process is terrible. It's slow and you never really know anything. That's a terrible reputation to have. And if you're so overwhelmed with resumes, a lot of people think that that's a good thing. You need to then reevaluate what are you doing to make sure that every single person that applies or goes through a process with you makes it feel like they are a part of your company during that process. Right. And that's, that's like that integration also is like that, that first contact, not only from the applicant to the company, but the company to the applicant is you want to feel like you're welcomed in from the minute that you make first contact with that company, that that company is already sort of treating you like somebody that's valuable. And that's often lost in that process too. I mean, you're right. It probably is a broken process because like um, there are some companies where the HR department is integrated with the finance department. Um, So you may have an interview with somebody in HR, but eventually if you have a couple interviews, you may end up uh, interviewing with the CFO. So uh, my friend that was going through this process, it was kind of a broken process with this company. They set up an interview with the CFO on the third interview at whatever time that it was and she got on the call and she has a dial-in number to dial into the call the cfo is not even on the call so they call the recruiter back and say hey i'm here on the call there's no one here and they got the wrong day and the time that they sent so now that makes the cfo look bad from this big company it makes the recruiter look bad because they don't look like they're just so that that immediate impression of, of going through this process is like, well, if, if this company can't set up a 30-minute phone call for an interview, how do they run the rest of their organization? This might not be a place that I, I want to work for. Yeah, the, the candidate experiences should really be at the forefront. And to Dan's point, I, I couldn't agree more that it's just such a great marketing opportunity if you do it the right way. Because if you give a candidate a great experience, even if they don't end up with your company, even if they're not the, they don't end up being the right person for the right job at the right time, um, they'll come and apply with you again, right? They might see another role that they're interested in. And at that point, you know, reach out to the, the recruiter directly. I tell candidates that all the time. When, when I give feedback on an interview, if, if it didn't go their way and we didn't choose them, I always tell them like, here's all my contact information. If you see anything else out there, call me directly. Like, don't waste your time applying. 
you know, call me, email me. So, it, you know, the candidate experience is super important and a lot of companies do get it wrong. I think most companies want to be good at it, but the everyday, you know, hustle and bustle and, and there's not enough hours in the day to do everything that we want to do prevents them from at least taking the first step to, to try to improve it even yeah. marginally. So yeah, the candidate experience is really important and it's, it's another part of this broken process I keep talking about that most companies just don't address. And it's one of the most unfortunate parts about looking for a job. Yeah. And the it, part of that process too, is the company has to value those departments that are integral to getting that process correct. You know, there are a lot of companies that may outsource their HR department. They might not have an internal human resource department. They might not have internal acquisition department. They rely on the outside part. Um, there are some fairly large companies, even locally, that really don't have much of an HR department. Mm -hmm. They've got like two people in the office that are trying to service 400 employees. And that's never going to be a good experience in this kind of situation where all of a sudden you're inundated, you have an outsourced company that you're using, and they're getting inundated from the 100 companies that they service. So that part of that experience, it's it has to be something that's valued by the actual company to, to make that work. Because if it's not, it's it's not going to work, period. Chris, Chris, I'll make a, another point is that it's not just your HR, your recruiting team that are a part of the hiring process. It's all your hiring managers too, right? Like Paul can find a really, really good C-sharp developer, but if his director that's overseeing C-sharp development doesn't respond on a candidate for two or three weeks, Paul has nothing to do but sit on his hands. He can say, hey, I'm still waiting on feedback, but it's a part yeah. of your company culture to say, hey, if you are in a position where you're hiring and you need to hire like relatively quickly, I know there's some that do pass and it's a little bit different. Look at resumes, take the time, to look at your resumes. And I know the, the, the excuses are always, hey, I'm busy, I'm overwhelmed. Well, probably part of the reason you're busy and overwhelmed is because you're understaffed, right? Hiring is a, you know, it's like I said, it is the biggest marketing campaign that your entire company can do. But if everything always gets bogged down with, well, HR is slow and, and recruiting isn't getting back to me in time, you as a hiring manager, and this is just for the people that are listening that hire people, make it a priority when you're trying to fill a role. That means make time to review resumes in a quick manner, make time to interview and block off your calendar to be able to do so because you can always find other things to do. I know hiring is usually like one to 2% of a, a person's job, but if you're doing it and you really want your company to be successful and have a great reputation in the market, then make the time to do it and don't just sit on on resumes because you're you're only hindering your company and all the people potential applicants that want to work for you isn't that part of like a regular corporate anyway the corporation because every other department has this is is that if, if your process is broken also like that that need there needs to be a process that people like you're mentioning not not just mm -hmm. the HR and the talent acquisition but the hiring managers the mm -hmm. department heads and we're even getting into the C level area like if there's not a process that follows that line from start to finish that's a real solid integrated process that everyone believes in right. that is a hindrance as well. I mean, process is, is, yep. is everything you see TV shows with, mm -hmm. uh, you know, people that are, or what's that one show? I can't remember the name of the show. Anyway, it's, um, uh, 
big on process. Like if that, if that chain is broken anywhere and you don't really care about having that, that's not going to work also. So, I mean, all that is, is fantastic information that both of you are giving. I'm, I'm really happy that you're, you're mentioning all this because that, that at every level has to take place. And, and I think sometimes from the applicant part, that's frustrating because they don't understand that that process might be broken and they think it's them. Right. Like they may have yep. had a great resume. They had made all the right steps. Um, they're perfect candidate for the job. And it makes them feel a little bit like down uh, saying, mm -hmm. I, I thought I did everything right. They might not know that that internal process is so broken that there's nothing they can do to overcome that. And they have to, to realize that sometimes it's not only them. Sometimes the other side of that process is broken. And how do you get people like that you're looking for positions for to not get into that depressed mode or that mode of like, I give up, I can't find anything. Like, what are some of the things that you can say to a candidate to say, Hey, look, you know, we're working for you. Maybe you want to change this. Maybe you want to change that. What, did, what advice do you give people that are in that position that have gone to two or three or more different spots and, and not found what they're looking for? How can you help hype them up to say, man, you can do this and, and, I'm here to help you. Yeah, that's an incredible point, and it's so true. It's just so demoralizing um, most of the time. I mean, looking for a job is not fun at, at really any point. Um, no, it's not at all. It, it's, it's awful, and particularly, you know, with all the challenges we've already been talking about, makes it even worse. So uh, what I would say, some of the tips that I would have in terms of just, like, maintaining – you know, your morale and, and keeping your spirits uh, lifted while you're going through this, you know, I already mentioned the first thing, which is just realize from the, from you getting out of the gate that the process is broken. So you're, you're already battling a process that isn't perfect and that's very flawed. So that's really the first thing. But the second thing is never apply to jobs. And that kind of goes back to what I was saying before, but as a candidate, you have so much more control over the job search, the job hunt, whatever you want to call it. When you're the one that is putting in specific work and you're obviously looking for the for a specific outcome, which is to find a new job. But when you're approaching your job search like it's a target list and like you're you approach it like sales and you're creating a target list of companies that you're interested in. And then when you're finding people within the organization that you can reach out to, you have complete control over what's going on. You're not really leaving anything up to a person that's never going to see the resume. The worst thing that they can do at that point is just not respond to your in-mail on LinkedIn of you saying, hey, I want to learn more about you or this position or your company. But the thing is, you never just want to have one point of contact that you're reaching out to at each company. So what yeah. I recommend doing is on your target list that you have of companies of, of, you know, interesting companies that you're really looking to, to get into under each one of them, you need to find five to 10 people that currently work there that you can reach out to. And I, well, I think that, that you made a great point, Paul, and I want to expand on that a little bit by, by mentioning it. it <clears throat> I think that a lot of times we get caught up when, when, people are looking for employment or looking for a job or looking for a career that we get into that mode of feeling like we can't be the aggressor 
when we're when we're applying. It's almost like we we immediately take a passive role in the process mm-hmm. to say, well, I, I shot you my resume and I shot you my cool cover letter with my little picture on it and everything's fantastic. And now I'm just going to sit here with my fingers crossed and, and hope that you contact me mm-hmm. instead of being the aggressor, which is, I mean, kind of what you're mentioning, Paul, is to say, get out there, get more than one contact, uh, even if it's within the same company. So you found the person that's in charge of, you know, the hiring process on one level. Well, there may be two other levels in that hiring process that you could get your information in front of. So find them. Look at, be the aggressor. If it's really the job that you want, then you've got to go after that because you go after everything else in life like that Mm -hmm. and you'll get it. You go after, you know, a, a person, you go after a house that you're buying, you go after this, you go after that. It's if you're not the aggressor on that part, and I think sometimes it's trained, like you're almost hiding and you're throwing your resume in the front door and then running right. to your car and trying to get out of there as fast as possible. And that's that's never going to be the way that you're going to be successful in that. Uh, absolutely. No, Chris, you make a great point there. And, and you have to go where the pain point is, right? And this isn't putting down internal recruiting or, or anything else. You have to go to who's feeling the most pain is that hiring manager that needs that that role is going to feel that pain if it's like the one position on his team or their team or her team that needs the position to be filled in order for them to meet a deliverable or hit a goal, right? So that's who is feeling the pain point, right? Paul and myself, we want to fill a lot of jobs, but we don't feel the pain of your team missing a senior financial analyst the same way you do, right? Right. We want you, you know, in recruiting to, to be able to find somebody quicker but I'm more apt to talk to somebody if somebody reaches out to me on LinkedIn or shot me an email with a resume and they said, hey, this is you know what I can do for you to be able to take a second to take a look at that resume or, or to, to look at that person's LinkedIn because they did reach out. And now me, the person with the pain, now is able to go out and immediately start talking to you and say, hey, no, you do have the skills that I'm looking for and you do have that compared to, like you said, waiting in the process. And I want to hit a point that we were talking about before, before we moved on. If you're in a position where you're overseeing people that are hiring, you yourself are hiring, you own a business, whatever it is, make sure that you have a good interview process in place. Know what kind of questions you want answered. Know what's important to get out of an interview because I can't even begin to tell you how many clients that that I have that I work with that have a very willy-nilly hiring process. They bring in three, four, five people. Maybe it's a two, three, four-step process. And all of the questions are like about the same thing. And a lot of it is tell me about yourself and what brings you here and where do you want to be in five years and all this other stuff. If you repeat that four or five times to the same person, like you're not getting the valuable information that you could over those two, three, yeah. four hours that you're meeting with somebody. So like when everybody's, you know, interviewing, I'm not saying to cut out, you know, some of that, you know, icebreaker type of questioning, but figure out what's the point of each interview. I have a client right now that has a six step interview process. I don't know what they learn in steps three, four, and five, right? I know right. number one, two, three, and six are about, but or, uh, one, two, and six are about, but not three, four, and five. It's just like the same repetitive conversation over and over again. And that process is long, it's slow, you're gonna potentially lose candidates. But more importantly, you just create a, a, a system or a, a view of yourself of like, why does it take this many hours and these many questions and this many people to make a hiring decision? So 
think about that and create like an actual good process with like good questions that you feel like are important to know if this is a good candidate or not. Well, and that that's why I'll go back to the fact that if you're a corporation and your company that's in the hiring process, you could be losing good candidates because if you're company A, like you're saying, and you have this elongated, cumbersome six-step process, and that same applicant is with another company that's streamlined what they're doing, and it's a two- or three-step process. Like By the time they get to the third step with this company, they may already be hired, and you're sitting there waiting to schedule step four or five and have no idea what even four or five are, are, are giving this person. So now you've lost out on this great candidate because this company has figured it out, has streamlined it, has brought it down to its basic factor of what we need to do to get this person in our company and starting. So you lose that because now that candidate is somewhere else and has sent you an email and said, oh, don't worry about scheduling step four. I've already found another position. So it goes both ways where, you know, the employee potentially is looking for a company, but, you know, the company can really screw it up on the other end too by losing really good talent. And if you're competing with companies that have figured out that process and you've got four or five applicants that have already gotten jobs and you're still sitting trying to figure out how to schedule step four. Right. Absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, I'm going to go back a little bit to kind of what Dan was saying about going directly after hiring managers in terms of who you need to be reaching out to when you identify your companies that you're targeting um, you start to build out your list of, of employees that currently work there. I love the idea of attacking a company from multiple points of view. So what I would recommend to everybody as you're starting to do this is, yes, you absolutely want to go to who that potential hiring manager is. So if, you, if you're going in as a staff accountant, you know that you're going to be reporting to likely a director of accounting or a chief accounting officer, or uh, potentially a CFO. So of course you wanna go after the people that could be making the decision, but you also wanna go after the talent acquisition people. And the reason why I say that is because again, like our company has 140 positions that are open. Those 140 positions are managed by three people who have direct yeah, knowledge of all of those positions. So even though, you know, we're a good sized company, we've got over 2000 employees, our, our hiring process still runs through three people. So if you were right. to go on LinkedIn and you're interested in working for us and you search my company's name and talent acquisition, you're only going to come up with three people that you need to contact to who have direct knowledge of what you're looking to do. So I think you want to attack it from a few ways. Hiring managers, for sure, you want to try to go after, just think about who could I potentially be reporting to, and you need to search the company's name and those job titles. And that and that goes back to, again, like we said um, previously, I mean, if you break it down just by numbers, it could be segmented within the company, like three people, uh, 140 positions, you know, that's almost... 50 positions per person in a sense, just simple math, but it could be sectioned off to where one person is in charge of these departments. That one person could be looking for 90 of those jobs where the other two people are looking for, you know, 25 here or 20 here. So you never know what the breakdown is. So you've, 
it makes sense to try to get with all three and they can guide it how they want to do it internally. But that gives you an idea of the amount of people that are really in charge of looking for this huge, broader mm -hmm. scope of the amount of people they're looking for. It seems like from my perspective for three people to look for that many jobs, it seems like it get overwhelming really fast. Like, and then you're getting the heat from the top. Like Dan's talking about that pressure point, like who's getting the pinch mm -hmm. where there's an executive or a hiring manager or a department manager coming in their office and saying, Hey, look, I'm not getting anything. And we've got to fill these positions by April one. We've got 11 days to do it. Something's got to break. Like we got to get people in here. Right. And that, that definitely goes back to having the buy-in from your leadership and, and from the company from the top down. So even though the three of us are managing that many requisitions or job openings at once, we have a lot of buy-in from our hiring managers and from our leadership. So it makes it manageable. Um, but, you know, that's why you definitely want to hit talent acquisition because even if I'm not hiring for that role, I know the only other two people that I can tell you, hey, I'm actually not working on that position. I can tell you about the company, but let me yeah. put you in touch with with either a hiring manager or I can put you in touch with my colleague that's actually working the role. So you want to hit potential hiring managers. You want to hit talent acquisition. And then one thing that people, uh, uh, an area that a lot of candidates forget to go to, go to people that are in the job that you're looking for right now. There's no better feedback that you can get on company culture and on how a company treats their people and on what the job actually looks like day to day than to go to somebody that's doing it right now. So yeah. if, if you're a financial analyst and you're looking to go work for Raymond James in St. Pete, go on LinkedIn and type in Raymond James financial analyst and start sending messages to these people yeah. and just ask for five minutes. Like, Hey, I'm really interested in what you do. I'm either a current financial analyst or I'm an aspiring financial analyst. I just love to pick your brain and understand what you do um, and how I might be able to either break into Raymond James um, or, you know, I just love to get your feedback on how things are over there. So that's an area where, where I feel like a lot of candidates don't go because that person isn't going to be hiring them, but it's also the biggest source of information and feedback that you can actually get. Yeah, I'll go. I'll, I'll ask you one thing and then we'll go to to uh, I'll expand on what you were just talking about and something I wanted to get into. But so how many of those 140 positions that you have, let's say, um, how many of those specialize in making gifts? Because I might be available for the right price. Just, <laughs> That's true. I'm just saying. I, I know. I've, that, I've actually, we've been kicking around. We've been kicking around the idea of a CGO. So, you know, as soon as we as soon as we take that through the approval chain and the CEO writes off on it, um, you'll you'll certainly be my first call. I'm your guy, Paul. I'm your guy. You're probably just a, a day or two away from that approval, too. Right, Paul? Sure, yeah. just, just a day or two. Yeah. But I know I know tomorrow's the day. So what are some of the steps from from the potential employee side? Besides the uh, the typical things that we go through, like I said before, resume, cover, page, and I mean, well, first of all, are those still part of the process? So you can see how long it's been since I've like applied for a job. I mean, they, I mean, what's what is that beginning process? Are we still in the days of resume, cover, page? I mean, obviously, a resume is still very you know the most effective way. 
But now that we're sort of in a digital phase of a lot of things are still digitally hiring, I, I don't, I can't imagine, and I could be wrong, that there's a lot of companies that are having a lot of face-to-face. -face. We've moved into that spot where, where it is digital and it is Zoom meetings or phone calls. How has that changed the process for an applicant to, to navigate this and, and we're sort of in a different world? And maybe, it, do you think that world will continue? where much less of that is face-to-face -face interaction on the interview and the first couple of steps are digital and they're going to stay digital. I can, I can hop in. Paul has maybe a better um, handle on this, but from, from all of my clients, I'm seeing, you know, there's still the, the virtual need to, to interview. And I don't think that that's going to go away. I think it, um, I think it, it truly does cut down on scheduling. I think it's a lot easier. Uh, it allows you to, to run through things a little bit faster rather than trying to coordinate everything, you know, in person and everything else. I do think we will regress back to uh, the mean of when, when companies are, are more open and people feel more comfortable with coming on site, that that will still be an important part of it. There's a lot that you can learn from somebody by Zoom, you know, in, in Skype and Teams meetings and everything else, but they're still, for me personally, I still want to meet somebody in person. I want to see how they interact. I want to see how they shake a hand. I want to see how serious they take the process, right? Uh, to answer some of your previous thoughts and, and comments, the first thing I would say is whether you're a job seeker or not, is to consistently have an updated resume. Update with projects that you completed, whenever the end of the year and you got to save money for your company or you hired or you were able to complete a big project, whatever it is, just jot it down on your resume. Because if you've been somewhere, you know, I've been with my company for seven and a half years. And if I were to go through and try to remember things that I did a few years ago, and they could have been huge at the time, I may have forgotten, right? And that could be right. something that companies are looking for in the future, right? You're, you're going to always be able to write your story better in real time than you are if you go back and try to read it, right? So I would say always to have an updated resume. Because we're doing a lot of things Zoom and virtual, make sure that you have a setup, a desk, you'll prop up a couple of different books um, on top of one another with a laptop. <laughs> if you don't have like a super sexy background, like download yourself something that's not too busy that can be your background green screen, but be ready and be prepared to know that, you know, if, if you're zooming and there's just all sorts of busyness around you or you don't look like you, you're, you're taking it seriously, I'm not saying that you're not going to get the job because of it, but I think it's definitely going to weigh in, in people's first, you know, immediate impression of you. Uh, so make sure that you have that. Make sure that you know how technology works from, you know, Zoom. You know, get on a few minutes early. Make sure your audio is working, right? Make sure that you're in a place where your internet is strong enough. Make sure that you're dressed for the job that you're interviewing for. I know that we're wearing a lot of athleisure and things of that nature now, but if you're interviewing for a job, you know, step it up, put on a polo shirt, a nice blouse, do something uh, in that regard. Um, I had other things that I want to say, but I forgot. Paul, save him, save Dan. You're on mute, Paul. I am on mute. I can't take it away if I'm on mute. Like Dan was saying, learn how to use technology and, and learn to not be on mute when, when you're supposed to be interviewing. Um, but no, I, I think Dan makes a lot of great points there. Uh, to, to your point about cover letters, I, I can only speak to myself. 
I've never read a single cover letter ever. I, I don't think that I ever will. I think that once you get to a certain level, so if you're interviewing for an executive position, you should either have a significantly longer resume that really details out, you know, 15, 20, 30 years of experience as an executive. Um, yeah. But outside of like executive search, don't waste your time on a cover letter. I would much okay. rather a candidate use, again, to go back to what I said earlier, time is your most valuable resource and you need to make the most of it. Don't waste your time on a cover letter. I would rather, I would advise a candidate to spend more time on making sure that they're quantifying their accomplishments in their resume. So, you know, don't just say, I saved my company some money by doing X, Y, Z. Well, how much did you save them? Or if you had a deliverable that was due, you know, three months late, later than you completed a project. So you completed a project three months early that ended up saving the company money. Those are the kind of stories that you want to be telling. And your yeah. resume is, is your place for you to tell how awesome you are. Like this, these are the things that I've accomplished and, and don't be afraid to brag on yourself. Um, but don't waste your time on a, on a cover letter. It's, it's yeah. pointless unless you're interviewing for a CFO, CEO job. I don't think you need one. Is that coming back to the point? Like if you, if you make them go through one more step, they may just not take that step. Like, I don't want to flip through this cover letter or something. It's just, I'm going to move on to the next one. I'll be honest with you. Sorry to cut you off, Paul. I'll be honest with you. I don't think that like a cover letter is super important. There are companies that value. I don't think that they hurt, uh, but I wouldn't waste your time like Paul was saying on them. And the biggest yeah. reason is, is because your resume should be your cover letter. And what I mean by right. that is everything that you'd want to expound on should be listed in your resume. Now, there are some companies, like I said, that want cover letters and you should be able to you know, put them in. Right. And I don't want you to not apply for a job because you don't have a cover letter. They should be quick. They should be easy. You know, you can take a template from Microsoft Word and, and plug some stuff in. But I'll say to, to Paul's point, quantify what you've done in your job, qualify it with other information and leave out a lot of the fluff. Everybody yeah. is a hard worker. Everybody's self-disciplined. Everybody has great time management skills. Everybody has is friendly and all of these other like adjectives and descriptive words that people will put on their resume that Fast just learner. eats up like large, say what? Fast learner. Yeah, exactly. It eats up <laughs> resume, and you want yeah. to put it around like brackets or these lines and everything else. And now all of a sudden you're trying to keep your resume down to two pages when half of it has been filled with your name, your address, your phone number, email address, and all of the descriptive words that like, you're not gonna not put it on there, right? Like, because if I read your resume and you don't say that you have great time management skills, I'm not gonna assume that you have terrible time management skills, right? Right. Nobody's yeah. gonna lie, right? Like I'm waiting for the first resume where somebody's like, eh, I'm adequate with time management, right? I am relatively prompt, right? Yeah. Sort of. So I want to I want to touch on one other thing, and we we're talking about the 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 aspect of the technology point of it, and and I'm going to just reference my wife real quick. So she's been working for home from home now for seven months, and obviously there's a lot of people that have been working from home even longer than that. Are you do you, do you feel like some of this is becoming like remote fatigue? that people are anxious to get back to the office because they may get more work done or 
they may be a very outgoing person and they like the atmosphere of working with people in an office? Are you finding that companies or even employees or even yourself, because you're probably working from home a lot, are sort of experiencing that, like uh, this remote fatigue? Have you, have you felt that like in the industry and around the, the corporate world to say like, God, we're just so anxious to get back to the office. And maybe there'll be some part of where it's distributed where you'll be in the office sometimes and you'll be remote sometimes to sort of mix it up where it's not going to be fully remote. What do you think about that? Because from, and I'll just go from my wife's perspective, like she's ready to get back to an office, even if it's a couple of days a week or three days a week or whatever it works out ratio wise, that like that interaction feels like it's missing from, from her life and her work experience. It's, it's, it, to me, it's very much like it, it varies from individual to individual in terms of, I would say the, the severity of, you know, I'm either extremely happy working from home. I never want to go back or, you know, I love being in an office. I feed off the energy of other people, et cetera. But I do think one thing that's incredibly consistent across the board, no matter what company it is, you know, what position the person is in. I think, I think the pandemic has really just shown that all employees at every company want the flexibility to either be remote or be in the office. And yeah. if, if this hasn't shown companies that your workers and the people that, you know, go to bat for you every day with your clients or they take care of your clients or, or wherever they sit within the organization, they can be incredibly productive from home. And they, they, a lot of people want that flexibility. So that's what I love about my role. We have an office. I was hired on as a remote employee, so I, I'm never expected to be in an office, but I have an office to go to if I ever want to. And I think that to your point, kind of having that, that opportunity to either rotate in the office a few days a week, work remote a few days a week, I think that that's really consistent. And, and I'm really hopeful that most companies will start moving in that direction because work-life balance has never been more important than it has over the last year. Um, and I'm really hoping that a lot of companies will kind of take note of that and, and start moving in that more flexible, flexible working, flexible schedules, moving in that direction. Yeah. And that's an important part also of having culture because part of what you're searching for in the company is not only the position, uh, the salary, the benefits, but there's also a a good slice of that pie that's the culture of the company and and that dynamic has sort of changed between culture of company now that we've gone through this and it's different and companies that were absolutely opposed to any work from home thing in 2019 up until march are all of a sudden like well my you know, now it, it kind of works in a sense and they're figuring out that having that flexibility, but then going all the way to the other side where people are working from home all the time, you know, there's going to be a chunk of people that probably would like to get away from their home. You know, they're in like, I know my wife, like at five o'clock, she's done and she's ready to go somewhere. Like I've been in this seat for nine hours. I got to get the hell out of my house. Like I don't want to be here. So that work-life balance and that culture that's available seems like it's extremely important and probably more important than it's ever been. 
Absolutely. And I think that's an important, again, discussion that executives and people that are making this decision need to evaluate. Yes, working from home permanently may save you a boatload of money. It, it, it truly could. I have a friend of mine that works in investment banking up in New York City and his company's now permanently remote. And I think they're going to save five and a half million dollars this year on rent. Right. You could, There's huge yeah. cost savings. On the flip side of that, like you said, culture is a lot harder to maintain remotely. There's uh, burnout, there's work fatigue, there's just fatigue in general that people are having. Um, so it truly needs to be a holistic discussion and you have to have a lot of stakeholders in that discussion of, yes, we may be saving money, but at what cost, right? Yeah. Paul's company yeah. is for the most part very remote, right? They've figured out the, the proper protocols to put into place to make sure that people feel like they're a part of a team, right? But imagine you're a new employee and before you used to be able to turn around in your chair and, and talk to, you know, other people on your team, you might be able to go to the water cooler and maybe you're, you know, in marketing and you talk to somebody that's in sales or somebody that's in IT that like you can't just set up like a Zoom call, right? With, yeah. oh, hey, I'm just going to randomly Zoom somebody. And they're like, why is somebody from marketing Zooming me, right? And that's where a lot of your best conversations, that's where a lot of, you know, businesses grow and thrive is by having people that are in no way connected, have a discussion. And then it's, Oh wow. I never considered that perspective or I never understood yeah. that that's what that department or that team was going through. So if you are going to be permanently remote, make sure that you put in, you know, good systems that, that people can connect with other people, have diversity of thought, have, you know, a dialogue and get to know one each other, you know, outside of just random team huddles, you know, once a day or twice a day. And some of that, and, and I'll take this from my perspective is some of that is also a little bit different from generation to generation. Whereas an older generation who, who never ever had an opportunity to work remote or work from home, that just, it wasn't done. The technology wasn't there to do it, you know, and there's a younger generation that's kind of grown up the last decade where you have zoom or you have Skype or you know, Microsoft teams or whatever, application that you use that are much more functional with that. So it's kind of like a generation gap too, where you have a little bit of a younger work culture that is completely down with it. And a little bit of an older work culture is like, well, I want to go say hi to Dan in his office and pop in with my cup of coffee and say, Hey, did you watch the lightning game last night? And, and that might be how you get familiar with the people that you work with and help expand your own culture in your company. Whereas I'm not going to Zoom Dan to say, what do you think of the lightning game last night? Like that interaction doesn't happen. And I think some of it's maybe a little generational. Like, you know, you guys are younger than me. You're a little more in tune with what the technology is because you've seen it, you've done it. Whereas, I mean, I can muddle my way through it. I'm like, I can't use a computer or use software, but that, that functionally for a different age group is so unfamiliar. It's difficult to get them to see how important it could be and to use it. And if they don't, you know, they could almost be pushing themselves out of a career or a position because you know, you're going to have to. Yeah. I think from, from my perspective on that, I mean, I, I tend to believe in people and I tend to believe that, you know, People want to want to grow and they want to, you know, learn new things and, and everything like that. So I also think that with this, with the pandemic and, and you know, forcing people to work remotely, it, it was really kind of a situation where if you are somebody that isn't as, um, you know, experienced with technology or you just don't understand it or whatever the case might be, you kind of had to learn it. 
and and I feel like most people have. Um, there might be a small portion of people that haven't, um, but I, I tend to think that people want to continue to grow and learn, and, and most people I feel like see that as a challenge. Um, so, uh, you know, our company, we haven't really experienced anything like that, but to your point about kind of how to maintain those relationships through working remote, you know, I still have a lot of those same conversations. Uh, so our, you know, our, our VP of sales, he's like a huge Tennessee fan. Like not only did he go to UT, but he also, you know, used to write for the school paper and, and he was really involved <laughs> in the athletic program. So, you know, when they hired Josh Heupel, I sent him a team's message just in the chat and, you know, essentially, you know, giving him hell about the hire and, and stuff like that. So I think there's still opportunities for that stuff. I think you just have to make an effort to do it. You have to be intentional about, you know, making sure that you are having conversations with your team, whether it's through chat or over a video call or audio call, um, that you're still doing that every day, because that's when, if you go three, four days without really talking to anybody, like that's when you really get on an island and it just increases the challenges that you're going to have. But, but, but Paul, I can't, I can't see your reaction when I go in early and I put like 10 or 15 thumbtacks in your chair and then stand outside the office and watch you sit down and just absolutely lose your shit because you just sat on 15 thumbtacks like or glue your keyboard to your desk and you try to move it gotta like be that's more sneaky and break into their house gotta be sneaky you gotta break into the house don't give <laughs> me your right. address paul i will glue your free i'll glue your dog to the wall just yeah, for fun that's right. go, go to, find, find fsu twitter a lot of them still have my address from 2019 <laughs> <laughs> well i want to say is uh, we're going to move on to something else real quick um but i want to thank you guys very much for sort of distributing your your talents and your professionalism and your insight to this topic because i mean it, everything's still not hunky dory we still have uh, you know large unemployment numbers uh, not as big but still there's there's people that feel misplaced because they're not in a position that they mm -hmm. want they don't have the job that they want they've settled for something uh, because that's what they could get you know and mm -hmm. I think it's important that we're, yes, we're a year into the pandemic, we're, we're a year into it and things are softening up a little bit and there may be some more opportunities, but we, we've sort of entered a new age in the last 12 months. Like it happened very fast. Sometimes mm -hmm. these things sort of roll out gradually and it's all of a sudden in 12 months, it's been just a huge dynamic shift in how we do things and to have your perspective here of what it's like right now and right in this moment. I, th I think some people can gain some benefit from this. So I and, thank you very much for lending that to me tonight. And I want to add another piece in there. I know that this could sound like crass or could you know make me sound like I, I don't sympathize or understand. When you're looking for a job, yes, it is a full-time job, but don't make it what you do 24-7. You're going to drive yourself crazy. Um, take take breaks. Take times to reskill or upskill. Um Take some time to volunteer, take some time to, to do things. A lot of the job process is in your control, but a lot of it is out of your control. And if all you do is sit refreshing your, your email, uh, it's not going to make the email come any faster. Um, but if all you're, if all you're doing is sitting in front of a computer and doing the fast apply uh, on LinkedIn or ZipRecruiter or, or Indeed, take yourself a break build in a schedule for a normal work day that I'm going to spend time 
reaching out to people at companies that I want to work for. I'm going to spend some yeah. time updating my resume. I'm going to spend some time applying for jobs and be purposeful with that, that time. I'm going to spend some time keeping track of where I've applied. Um, so, so that, you know, right. Um, there's a, there's a thunderstorm out here and yeah, it's, um, it's, it's pretty bad around yeah. right now, Dan, like I missed it, but yeah, there's, there's it's one coming, coming your way for sure. It's coming. And, um, you know, and finally use the time to, to get some new skills, to hone in on your skills. Maybe there's a certification, maybe there's a course LinkedIn learning is super, super cheap. It might even be free in some regard. There's like hundreds of thousands of courses that you can take, but spend some time outside of just hammering your, your resume out to, to companies across mm -hmm. the, across the, uh, the town. And that's something I'll, I'll real quick on that. Like um, my wife between, between employment opportunities actually got three different certifications um, while she was waiting. So that all literally enhanced her resume month to month because it was like, it's fresh, it's new. It's right now. It's not a 15 year old certificate or certification or a class. It's like, I just took it. So she used her time wisely. Um, she also got a grant from the government to yep. cover the cost of the educational process. Like it was very easy to apply, um, through some of the workforce parts, but the, um, so that was really, really beneficial. And I think it's beneficial. A lot of people don't realize like you can continue to educate yourself even through this process. It's not like you're just sitting there, like you said, refresh, refresh, right. refresh, refresh. You, you can enhance it while you're doing it. You make a really good point, Chris, and this will be my, my last point on it is there's oftentimes a lot of money that goes unused or underused by workforce programs and cities and counties and states that are out there for you to be able to get education, to get interview prep and help. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of money out there to go find it, go check your local unemployment offices, go check your workforce solutions that are in your, you know, city and in your county, because there, there's a lot of money that these companies are, that these entities have a difficult time spending that's there to be allocated for you. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I think too, uh, just, and this is kind of the, the last thing, but I, I hope that this is, this is probably the most important thing that I'll say. Um, and, and I hope people, you know, can, can hear this. Your job search does not define who you are as a person. It does not define how good you are at what you do. It does not define how good, you know, your accomplishments are or bad your accomplishments are. It doesn't define any of those things. The process is broken. It's frustrating. It's a total grind to find a job. So, yeah. but don't internalize the broken process, the, the broken game that you're having to play and, and internalize that as it being some sort of, you know, judgment on how good you are at what you do or who you are as a person, the job search does not define you. So keep that in mind from day one and the process will go a lot smoother. Well, again, thank you guys for all of your insight. So we're going to move real quick because we don't want to you know be here all night, but I will just say, Paul, Talk to me about Mullen. You have the floor. Dan, if you want to chime in, go right ahead. Oh Get it off your chest, Paul. Get it I off your chest. A bourbon here. Yeah, go. just get a bottle and, and listen to the thunderstorm because this might take a while. Yeah. I'll just get you know, myself on mute and hang out for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. No, so my thing, my thing with Mullen, it, it really comes down to this. I just want Mullen to make his job easier on himself. 
Like, I don't think that we can give Dan Mullen a pass and just say, well, he's really great at developing, you know, three stars and, and non blue chip players. Well, if that's the case and he's really good at developing, you know, that, that lower to mid tier prospects, imagine what he could do and the success that could be sustained if he actually put some effort into recruiting and landed, you know, top 10, top eight, top five classes. I think that's where Florida football can have sustained success and not have an eight win season like we just had. And then, you know, you give up and you say all this goofy stuff in the media, but it's, that's really where my take comes from is just, I know that he's a good play caller and I know that he can develop talent, but I'm, I don't want to see you develop three stars. I want to see you develop borderline five stars because that's where the national titles are going to come from. Um, and I just, I'm not a believer in the fact that you can land top 12 classes and then out scheme every, every other program that's ahead of you in recruiting. So, yeah. Yeah. But he dressed like Darth Vader. That's got to count for something. Yeah, he did do that. We'll, we'll give, we'll give, <laughs> we'll give, we'll give him a point. So, um, Dan, you have any topics on that or are you saving it for your own thing? Well, because no, I mean, certainly can. I, I mean, I've, I've said this, I said it maybe two or three weeks ago on our podcast. I, I understand both sides of people being both elated uh, with Dan Mullen and what he's been able to do in last season, you know, definitely had some flukiness to it. Uh, but I also understand Paul's perspective. To be honest with you, my, my opinion on Dan Mullen, and, and we're starting to maybe see a change this year. I think his last year was was really tough on a lot of people. But also, I think of Dan Mullen, and I think of a guy that's in his early 50s, right, or, or late 40s. That's been late, uh, mid to late forties. I think yeah. he's like four years. He's like four years younger than me, actually, okay. which is so fucked up for me to say that. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I, let me let me see. Dan Mullen. Age. I thought he was forty-seven. He's forty-eight. Honestly, so okay. So he's okay. just about to turn forty-nine next month. Okay, so he's forty-nine next month. Dan Mullen was hired at the University of Florida to be an offensive coordinator in two thousand five. So that's seventeen years ago. So Dan Mullen was thirty-one years old. As the offensive coordinator at the University of Florida, he was at Utah before that. Right. He, he spent five years or four years at Florida in a very, very um, good time to run an offense, a very good time to be a part of the University of Florida program. And then he went to Mississippi State, a perennial bottom dweller for 10 years. Then he comes to Florida. Expectations are through the roof because of, you know, his background, his experience. He comes, he seems like he's in love with the idea of being a Gator when he comes here. I think that he continues to do that for a year or two years. And then I think some of the, the, the honeymoon, you know, wears off a little bit. Some of the, the shine that was there, you know, loses some luster. And, and to be honest with you, I think Dan Mullen is, is a bit burnt out. You know, a lot of times we think of college football coaches and we think of like Nick Saban's like Nick Saban's in his like late sixties. How is he not burnt out? But you can't always compare to like the greatest college football coach of all time. You have to, that's a tough, that's tough to do. That's That's tough to do. It's an impossible bar, right? I, I truly think that Dan Mullen has been at the height of college football for 18, 19 years. You know, he's been probably working consistently 70, 80, 90 hour work weeks. And you can talk about him making $6 million a year or a few million dollars a year, whatever he was making at Mississippi state, you know, there comes a point in time that I think for a lot of people, you start to maybe lose some of the love of all of the other things uh, that are there about being a head coach, right? I mean, yes, you get to call plays, but 
how much of Dan Mullen's job is calling plays? 5%, 10%. He's running a huge yeah. athletic department. And I truly believe that last year really weared on him. And I do believe that he was burnt out. Not, and I think that that's why he was potentially looking at NFL opportunities. The, the hours and the grind is very, very different. Um, being a college football coach is tough. And I think if you're at the, the top of the game for as long as he's been, I think you're starting to see some, some cracks in Dan Mullen, the person and not necessarily just Dan Mullen, the coach. Yeah. And maybe, maybe some fresh faces this year on the, in the back office and some coaching changes, maybe, maybe some of that energy that they'll bring will, will help, uh, build that up a little bit. I mean, you never know. We've, we've basically had three off field transitions since he started. Like it's just, it's crazy. The amount, like there's no continuity and that certainly hurts as well. You know, we started out with, when he first started, he had this recruiting coordinator and this recruiting coordinator and that's, and then they were gone and then another people came in, then they were gone. And now more people have come in. Like there hasn't been a lot of consistency, in the areas that we're struggling with. And it's very much shown, you know, it's very much shown that. So except for, except for but, John Hennessy, he'll, he'll stay around and, you know, going into year four, this is going to be the year that he finally develops somebody that's better than, than 56. So, you know, what, we'll, you know it's, it's funny, you know, a lot of people were like, man, I really love Mullen because he never has staff turnover and everything else. And, you know, we're going to finally have some continuity and then you get some, and then people are like, oh, I didn't want that continuity, right? I didn't yeah, want, I don't want that guy. I don't want that guy. Get rid of that guy. It's like, oh, no, he's been there since – I mean, they've worked together since they were at Utah together, so he ain't going anywhere. Yeah, Hevesy and okay. Gonzalez, are, they're going to follow Mullen wherever, so you can get that out of your head. Like, so it's never so, happened. So it's it's, it's an unfortunate scene. You, you really hate yeah. to see it. Um, but my last thing on Mullen, I think kind of to Dan's point about, you know, maybe seeing some, some cracks there just in, in him as a head coach and everything like that. We also have to remember that even when everything was great back in, you know, 05, 06, 07, 08, 09, um, or before he left, he's always been very, very sensitive to the fan base. Like I specifically remember, you know, stories of him saying that, you know, Megan Mullen would get stopped in, in Publix on, you know, in Gainesville and, and be asked, like, you know, why didn't we score 60? So it's like, I feel like he's always been kind of sensitive to the fan base. Um, and, you know, I, I can understand that and I can, you know, empathize with that. But at the end of the day, this is the University of Florida. And if, if you're not if you're not mentally tough enough to deal with the expectations that, that you told us you were when you got off the plane, um, then it's just time to move on. And I wish that I wish that wasn't the case, but I, I hope he I hope he turns it around and, and figures it out. because um, I just I know that we can be better and we should be better. And I think that he I think that he could take us where we need to go. Um, and that's what is most frustrating to me. Um, I don't think my guy Swerve would agree with that. I know that he's like totally out on him. Um, but I, I do think that he's capable of, of winning at a high level um, from a, an X's and O's perspective. But I think that he's just got to he's got to be intentional about making the changes that need to happen just so that he can make this easier on himself. Like maybe he wouldn't be so worn down if he would go out and do the things that we need to do to get better players to where he's not having to work as hard as he is. So um, well, we'll see what happens, but I'll say, I'll say this, you know, and this is a point that I I've tried to make before and I've never pulled it up. If you go all the way back to 79 and Charlie Pell, when he took over, 
the Gators have had 10 full-time coaches, right? They've had 12 coaches, Charlie Strong and DJ Durkin and Randy Shannon, right? Uh, you know, or, or people oh, God. that took uh, temporary roles, right? Charlie Pell was with UF for five years. Galen Hall was there for five years. And I know that there's some, you know, interesting, you know, time and in, in everything else about why that didn't totally work out. And then Steve Spurrier was there for 11, but then Ron Zook was there for three. Urban Meyer was there for five. Will Muschamp was there for, for three or four seasons. Jim McElwain was there for three seasons. Dan Mullen is now entering his, you know, his fourth season, right? So I almost wonder if, like, the position itself is just one that's just going to naturally have high turnover, right? You have a very, very emphatic fan base. You have a lot of people that have very high expectations and they want to win and they want to win quickly to a point where I don't know if Florida is ever going to be able to have sustained coaching for a very long time. Right. I mean, you take Steve Spurrier out of there and you be like, look at him. Well, Steve Spurrier left Duke to come to Florida. He won a Heisen trophy at Florida. He's considered like the greatest name of all time in the university of Florida. And even he had to move on after a certain period of time. Right. So not saying that this doesn't happen at other schools and everything else, but I almost wonder, I mean, you go back 40 years and Florida's had 10 coaches. You can do the math there about how long the, the average coach is going to stay. Yeah, and Spurrier is the is the exception, and probably always will be the exception because if you if you think about it, he's really the only one on that list that left on his own terms. He decided when he was going to leave the University of Florida because he had always had that NFL challenge right. in the back of his mind. Not one of those other coaches really left on their own terms and said, okay, I'm, I'm moving on because I want a different challenge. I mean, right, because even Urban Meyer, when he left, there was a lot of kinks in the armor. He started to look at the development, the recruiting and everything else. I mean, you could look at the way that Urban Meyer recruited and be like, wow, that was a top, you know, three class every year. But then you, you started to see how top heavy they were in some areas and huge areas where they missed and weren't able to develop talent. And then all of a sudden you give it to Will Muschamp and it's like, oh, shoot, like, we really did have some talent deficiencies too, where it's almost like, hey, yeah. I'm dealing with these health issues and everything else, but also there's some mold behind this fresh paint you got going on here, right? So Yeah, there's not a, a – look, I mean, 09 was, uh, you know, look, that was when Nick put a, put everybody on notice, you know. He, he beat a very good – very very good football team and beat him pretty handily like if if mullen's still there and we move on from tebow in in 2010 2011 are we competing with alabama probably not i don't think that makes much of a difference we would have been better but i i mean that look that juggernaut took off and was not stopping for anybody so i mean definitely kinks and i don't even want to get into the whole charlie pell galen hall thing i was there i was i was there to watch it all happen and watch it unfold and it was it, it was not pretty it was not pretty at all but uh bygone days so again gentlemen thank you we have been on here for a little while uh thank you very much for for taking your time and 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 coming on and, and talking about uh, everything that we need to do uh, if you're out there, you know, looking for a job or you're considering a change and you're not sure what to do and, and where to go and what your resources are and, and how to make those steps. Uh, hopefully, hopefully we've given you some information tonight from from these two gentlemen that have 
can really help you out to to make that move and, f- and find the job that you want. So again, gentlemen, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And uh, I hope everyone has a good evening. And uh, all everybody out there that's listening, please take the time. It might not be, you know, the, the most sexy subject in the world. But uh, sometimes you got to take an episode and you got to take time out to, to try to help people and, and give them an idea that there's a, there's another way to do things and maybe the way that you're doing it. And, and hopefully, like I said, this will, will give you some insight from, from two professionals that really know what they're talking about. So thank you both, Paul, Dan, I appreciate it. Thanks for hopping on. My wife was over there in the corner waving to say hello. She knows <laughs> both of you. So she said, hi. And, hello. Um, I, I, I will for sure. So again, gentlemen, thank you very much. And uh, we'll look forward to, to seeing you out there in the, in the Twitter atmosphere and hopefully very soon, maybe face to face. I love it. Thanks Just so much, guys. Thank you. All right, guys. Thanks. No yeah, well, all I ever saw was the trouble the lost the day they were born. Fighting the hurt. Fighting the hill. Someday the road will get a gap, but the Lord ever will. Well, they fight the system like a true modern day Robin Hood.